Crossroads, it is good to be with you today. As Tim said, my name is Caleb Sutton. Um, I've been here for a couple months now, um, and it is great to have this first opportunity to be in front of you. Um, we thank you for being here after this Thanksgiving. We hope that your Thanksgiving was just as good as ours was, with family and friends, being around a table, fellowshipping together. So uh, this morning, the sermon title is Gratitude, and I want to talk about having gratitude even in the trials and being thankful for every provision given to us by God. Before we get going, I want to start us off in prayer, Uh, so bow your heads with me. God, we come before you this Thanksgiving season, looking forward to Christmas in a few weeks, remembering Jesus' birth into the world, a birth that provided the hope of all hope that no matter the situation we are in, if our faith is placed in Christ, we will be saved. We thank you for walking with us through the wilderness, the good times, and the hard times. Thank you for this church where we can gather as your people, seeking to be more like you and giving you the glory along the way. Father, speak through me this morning to your people. Amen. So 17 years ago now, I was headed to my first overseas mission trip to Tanzania. It was a long flight to London from Houston, and then we had a layover, and then a long flight to Tanzania. And while we were flying over northern Africa, it was nighttime. And I remember it just being dark. It was just dark. Um, Around water, you can sometimes find, that's where people would would build houses and huts and little villages because they had to have a water source. But other than that, there was just nothing which seemed like forever of just flying for hours and hours. After a while of seeing nothing out my window, I was looking and I saw this yellow flicker. And it was faint and it almost went dark and I had to do the, like, that kind of thing. But, but it was there and it would kind of come and go, maybe clouds, I don't know. But as we got closer... Little by little, I could see it more. And then at 38,000 feet, I could actually see this bushfire in the middle of nowhere, to me, in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, here is life. After all this vast expanse of wilderness and darkness, there's life right in the middle of it. This little light was shining. And at seven and a half miles above it, this little light had so much darkness conquering power that I could see its glow. Even though in my eyes there was immense bleak darkness, light was there, hope was there, and life was there. I want to take you back a little farther than the sermon series this summer, which was losing the promised land. I want to take you back to the Israelite exodus from Egypt. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. In Exodus 2, 23 through 25, we read, Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. After that, we see Moses return to Egypt and God's sovereign power displayed in the 10 plagues levied against the Egyptians. Now, if we move down to chapter 13, verse 17, it says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, 
God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. So we see God in all of his wisdom lead people away from slavery, but into the wilderness. The wilderness in the Bible seems to be synonymous with not being in tune with God, but also becoming reliant and building trust with him. The wilderness is a place where ordinary life is suspended. Identity shifts and new possibilities become real. It is a place of danger and chaos and temptation. But it is also a place for solitude, nourishment, and revelation from God. In the wilderness, we see God's chosen people say, did he just bring us out here to die? They say that multiple times. They say it was better back in slavery. Our pots were full and we all had the bread we wanted. And so to me, what they're saying is we were comfortable back there. We were taken care of and we were united around complaining about being in slavery. And the question is, have you ever been united with someone because you like to complain about the same thing? Yeah, I figured. Okay. Anyway, let's, let's keep going. So in all these times of need, we see God provide time and time again for the Israelites Throughout Exodus, bitter water made good to drink, manna and quail, water from the rock, leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. We see them come against their first enemies they have to battle, the Amalekites. In this battle, as long as Moses held up his staff, they would have the advantage in battle. Aaron and Hur ended up helping Moses keep his arms raised, and they won the battle. One thing that we learn in Exodus is that in the wilderness... We learn a lot about ourselves and God. We realize that he will provide if we acknowledge him as provider. And he will save if we acknowledge him as savior. In the wilderness, we learn about the new possibilities of reality for us. We can see the ways God is calling us from our slavery. With this, though, there are some ground rules we have to understand in order to come into alignment with God. In Exodus 20, we get the Ten Commandments. While in the wilderness, the Israelites learn how they are to treat one another and worship God. He teaches them about himself, how to interact with him and what he expects from them. This is that alignment piece, the ground rules for coming into alignment with him and understanding who God is. In the wilderness, there will be wavering. Just like we see with the Israelites in the golden calf, there will be an urge to fill the void left by the slavery we were once in with something comfortable and something satisfying. God is calling us out into the wilderness to shape us, to mold us, to chip off some of the sharp edges. And those things are not comfortable. Being pushed and stretched is not comfortable. And having everything we know flipped on its head is often not the place easiest to be. But he's not done. Even in that wavering, God shows us mercy and grace. However, he is just. There's no other way to love someone. Sometimes God rewrites the covenant as he did with the chosen people in Exodus 34 after they make the golden calf. Sometimes... Because of our stubbornness, God says, okay, see if you can do it yourself. 
but he never truly leaves us. He is closer than a whisper. Actually, it's us that walks away from him. So I want you to envision something with me. Um, I would ask you to close your eyes, but Jeff said a lot of you may not because you're nervous about the person you're sitting beside. Maybe give you a wet willy or something. So you can close them if you want to. You don't have to, though. But so I want you to envision something with me. Your house is on fire. Now, there's no one there but you. Everyone else is getting ice cream, okay? And you're like, what the heck? Why wasn't I invited for ice cream? Like, I don't know. You'll have to take that up with them. But you're at your house, and you're by yourself, okay? Your house is on fire. It's in the middle of, let's say, the Northwoods, northern Minnesota. Wilderness, wild animals, and water all around. If you stay by the house, at least as it burns, it will light up the surrounding area and keep you warm. But if you are to save it, you must go get help. And you're thinking right now, well, let me just call Bjorn from down the road. And so I was trying to think of the most Midwest name ever. Is Bjorn probably a solid Midwest name? I don't know. I, I thought that was the Midwestest I could come up with. But anyway, um, but you're thinking, so like Bjorn, he's a firefighting, snow plowing contractor, and he can solve all these issues. But no, so there's no cell reception, uh, snowed in, way more snow than what we've got right now. It's just you, okay? No one's coming to help you, only you. You have to do something. You realize that you have to leave the warmth and light if you are to have any chance to save your house. So you pass by the big oak at the edge of the yard with the swing in it and start feeling your way into the darkness. As you travel, the light grows dim and the warmth dwindles to nothing. There is a pull to go back where there will at least be the warmth and light, but you know there is no way for anyone to help if you do a little farther, and you are in complete wilderness. You don't know what's there because you can't see anything. It's completely cloudy, no moonlight or stars, just freezing cold darkness. You trip over this and get hit in the face by that. You've been out there for hours now, weaving your way through. As you stumble through the darkness and snow, not knowing even the next step, you hear this roaring noise. It's not the thunder or the wind, It's hard to actually tell where the noise is coming from, but as you continue trekking forward, you can tell that it is a raging river. You can't see it, but you know it's a huge river with lots of water moving through it. And you think, I can't cross this. There is no way across, and if I get wet, I will surely become hypothermic. You could follow it one way or the other, but you heard the story. You knew the guy who never made it out of the wilderness, They found his tracks where he turned to follow the river downstream and slipped and fell off the edge where the water plummets over the falls. So you decide, I I have to test the water. I have to make it across the water somehow. In this complete darkness, you lean down and you can feel there is no bottom to this icy river. The water is way deeper than your boots. You reach in past your elbow and there is nothing there. On your knees, though, you look up and you see something, light. From your knees, you notice the end of the tunnel. From your knees, you can see the edge of the wilderness. If you move your head one way or another, you lose sight of it. It's faint, but it's there. There are things in your path, rocks, trees, but at least you know you're heading in the right direction now. 
and you find yourself at a crawl grasping for a rock upon which to try to cross this raging river on your journey. One false move and your world will surely fall apart. Only upon the solid rock can you make your way forward. You find one rock, but it's not big enough. It won't get you there. And as you move your hand from it, it actually tumbles downstream. And just then the clouds open and the light of the moon illuminates a path of boulders. You see a way across. And just then it hits you. You are starting to realize what God has been doing all along. God provides you with this little revelation of what he has been doing in you. You look back and can see the whole path that he has brought you down, and there is only a little more wilderness to travel through. You aren't there yet, but there is hope. The clouds once again cover the moon, and you are back to the darkness, but with expectation and hope now. There is, in fact, a path forward. You must find it, though, one step at a time. By God's grace, you somehow find each boulder which takes you across. You're cold and wet from the misstep back in the river, and you come to the edge of the wilderness. You get to the edge of the trees, tattered and torn, to behold this great fire, this beacon of hope. And now you're only thinking, I have to get warm or die. Just then you see something move which covers up some of the fire. There is something between you and the fire. You can't make it out at first, but then you realize there are giants over there. There are giants between you and your future, between you and life. They are ugly and enormous, hiding in the fringes of the darkness where it's hard to focus. You think these things are between me and staying alive. I've come this far only to have this hope ripped away by something like that? How can I ever overcome this? I thought the hard part was over. I am mentally spent, physically exhausted, spiritually on the edge of descending into doubt and fear. Would it have been more comfortable to die next to my house that I love so much? In Isaiah 30, 20 through 21, it says, though the Lord gave you adversity for food and suffering for drink, He will still be with you to teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. And God says, child, open your eyes. Why are you wandering through the wilderness with your eyes closed? He says, look over there. Look around you. Do you not see these warriors beside you? Do you not see what I brought you out of and what I brought you through? He says, I was always there. I will never leave you. You are mine. Then he says something that you never thought he would say. He says, step into the light with your sword and slay the giant. He says, I've been shaping you for this moment, hand in hand with your brothers and sisters around you. You now know that God works everything for good. He has brought you to this moment. He has been preparing you to put to death the sin you've had that is keeping you from your promise with God, the sin that is holding you in the darkness, the grudges that you hold, the anxiety and stress that bind you, the doubt that makes you look back to Egypt, 
to your burning house. If we continue in Isaiah 30 to verse 22, it says, then you will destroy all your silver idols and your precious gold images. You will throw them out like filthy rags, saying to them, good riddance. Your hope is no longer back there. It's no longer behind you, but it's before you. Psalm 119, 105 starts with this. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. I have suffered much, Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. My light constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to to keep your decrees to the very end. So we have to let the sin fall where we found it. We have to let our sin die and step into the warmth of the fire, the light of the fire. There are indeed giants in the darkness waiting for you to get too close to the edge. Sin is waiting for the moment to creep up. Turn your face towards the light towards Christ. The fire that you noticed when you were on your knees grasping for any way to move forward. He is the light in the middle of the wilderness. Even though the wilderness is vast and the darkness is thick, the light is there. Christ is there. We only need to reach for him. If you can see but a faint flicker, use that flicker as your north star, guiding you into a covenant with God and into the promises he has for you. Lean on your brothers and sisters around you. As Aaron and Hur held up Moses' arms so the Israelites could win the battle, so too will your fellow believers come to your aid. The I is right in the middle of the word anxiety. And that's just where Satan wants you, stuck in the middle, surrounded with no hope. There's a song I've been listening to and part of the chorus goes like this. You're broken, and anyone who says they're not is lying. Maybe we all just got too good at hiding. And I think that's true. We all say, I'm fine, and move on, which is sad because Scripture calls us to bear one another's burdens, but that doesn't fit Satan's plan very well. So he's fine with us just saying, I'm fine, and moving on. When you get to the end of your journey you will look back and see that you were in no shape to fight these sins right after you tried to walk away. God had to lead you in a roundabout way to prove his love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. Unless you saw his provision, you would have never had the confidence to approach your sin and cut the head off the snake. Deuteronomy 33 26 through 29 says, there is no one like the God of Israel. He rides across the heavens to help you across the skies in majestic splendor. The eternal God is your refuge and his everlasting arms are under you. He drives out the enemy before you. He cries out, destroy them. So Israel will live in safety, prosperous Jacob in security while the heavens drop down dew. How blessed are you, O Israel, Who else is like you, a people saved by the Lord? 
He is your protecting shield and your triumphant sword. Your enemies will cringe before you and you will stomp on their backs. You can look back on your whole journey and see that the house you were in was doomed to burn anyway. It was only a matter of time. In fact, it had been on fire for a long time. You just kept throwing water on it from time to time. You kept rebuilding from the same materials until there was nothing left to build with but ash. In your journeying, you see growth and resolve you gain from it. You understand now that you could have, in fact, stood in the warmth and light of your burning house. It would have provided something comfortable, something that you've known for so long. But eventually, it would have left you cold and in the dark and alone, shortly followed by death. You look at the river and see how wide and treacherous it was to cross. You see that if you were never down on your knees looking at the raging water before you and your burning house behind, you would have never seen the light. If you never realized that you had to leave, you would have never made it. You were about to turn and follow the river downstream. You were about to turn and never cross it because before the light shone on the boulders, you never saw the only path forward. God made a way where there was no way. He led you across the water just as he led the Israelites through it. And just as the Israelites faced physical giants, you face sin so big it can seem to blot out the light. You see, the giants actually knew you were coming. They were, in fact, the ones who kept lighting the fires in your house. They were lying in wait because once you decided to head for help, if they could get between you and the fire, between you and Christ, maybe they could blot out the light so you would take a different path. Maybe they could keep you wandering in the wilderness. Maybe they could lead you to something else that would comfort you for a while. Sin will keep you in the wilderness. Sin takes us to places we never wanted to go, and it keeps us there longer than we ever wanted to stay. But in the end, there is a choice to be made. You have to make a choice and cannot remain neutral. Either you are going to stay and try to rebuild this ever-burning house, which will ultimately be rendered to ash, or you are going to get on your knees, cross the raging river on Christ the solid rock, defeat the giants, and step into a new day where the roaring flame of God the Father will give you all the warmth, hope, love, and joy you could ever need for an eternity. I'm telling you, there is no other way. Remaining neutral is saying no. I leave you with this story. In 2007, there were 23 South Korean missionaries that were on a missions trip in Afghanistan. Some of you may remember it on the news, it was all over. Um, Several of the men that were a part of that trip were actually killed in the process. They were all put in solitary confinement but one of the ladies tore pages out of her Bible and passed it out to everybody before they made it into their solitude. Just so that way they would have some sort of hope and and could get that from God's word. Now eventually, Afghanistan and South Korea um, negotiated terms and they were released. And 
back in South Korea, one of the guys that was on the trip was a pastor. And he said that over the course of a year, every individual that was on that trip came to him at one time or another, expressing how they wished they were back in Afghanistan because that's where they were the closest they had ever been to God. So often in the trials, if we look back, we are closer to God than ever. Often we see how painful that time was, but how sweet the Lord was through it all. He is actually the one to move the clouds and to provide the rocks on which to stand and the beacon calling us home. Have gratitude in the wilderness because he's not done. Look back at the past wanderings and you will see his hand. You will see his provision and guidance. Seek God in the trials. Seek him when you're wandering in the wilderness. Just like when I finally saw the light after flying forever over Africa, you will eventually find it if you keep moving forward and pressing towards the Lord. Don't ask why, but what? What are you trying to show me, God? And come like this. I'm ready to receive whatever you've got for me, God, through this trial, through this wilderness. So dig in, grab your sword, and say, whatever comes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Bow your heads with me, let's pray. Father, help us to realize that in every situation, you are beside us. Help us to realize that if we are alive, you are not done with us. As we walk through the valley, God, there will be places where we will set our stones of remembrance and look back at all that you have brought us through. This will be the place we step into all that you have for us. This will be the point in our lives where we rest assured that it was only you who could have brought us out of the wilderness and only you who provided for us while we were there. Even though there are some in the wilderness searching, wandering, and grasping for even a shimmer of light right now, I pray they would look to you and their brothers and sisters to conquer the darkness. Father, where gratitude exists, anxiety cannot. We are so thankful for your provision, even when it's only enough for right now. Even when we don't know how we will make it through tomorrow, let us rest assured that you are the sustainer. You are the provider. You are the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Thank you, God. Amen.